evening all. My name's Maddie, and I'll be reading the Bible for you all tonight. Um, the Bible reading is James 1, 1 to 27, and that's on page 100, uh, sorry, 1,217 of the Bibles in the pews. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask... You must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its, beauty destro- and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I'll invite John up and I'll pray for him before he speaks. 
Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage that we have to read tonight and what we can glean from it about you, Father. Um, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you'll be with John as he speaks tonight and that we will hear your words through him um, and that, yeah, we'll be able to glean something from this tonight with open hearts and minds to hear what you have to say through John. I pray all these things in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I've got this headphone stuff. You want to take this, Maddie? Thank you. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Now, hear me. Did you have a good Christmas? Did you ever have a good Christmas? You're looking forward to a new year, 2023. A good year, good stuff. It's exciting, all of the possibilities that lie before us. Um, I'm not sure what to think about 2023 yet. Three doesn't kind of rhyme with anything. Uh, I don't know quite where it goes, but there you go. Hey, listen, we've decided as a team that we're going to go through the book of James in, uh, in the evening, well, the whole month of January, actually. And what we've decided to do is to ask anybody who would like to preach, have a shot at preaching, uh, to come and be involved in that. So in the evening services, any of the morning services, we're going to have a number of people preaching uh, from different chapters of James. Um, so this will be really exciting, but I do ask you please for uh, just a generous spirit of love, of acceptance for everybody who's preaching, because this may be their first time, uh, and it may be their 155 millionth time, so we still need grace and mercy for, for going about it. But this is, this is very exciting. One of the exciting things about this church is to see before me and other people the future generations of leaders of our church. And I am excited to be able to be involved with you guys and to be able to share this stuff. So in the preaching that comes this month, members of the team here will be preaching, I want to be preaching, but there'll be some other members preaching as well. And I invite you to uh, come with delight, accepting what they have to say. So we work through James. Uh, James is a different book. James is regarded by some people as uh, rather second rate. It's not, uh, it's not regarded as highly as some of the other ones because it's not pure theology. It, uh, it has to do with what you do. Now, the, 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 the question is, what's the theme of the book? Is the theme of the book uh, good works or is the theme of the book real faith? Whatever the situation, the theme of the book is that faith comes first, but without progressing through to what you do, it's dead. You with me? Faith without works is dead. Faith is absolutely critical and significant, but unless we're prepared to pledge our lives to the faith that we own, we pretty much waste our time. And I think that's a pretty reasonable way to go. So we ask ourselves, as a kind of a precursor, one or two questions. First of all, who's James? Well, you can never be certain about who the, who the writers are. Uh, it's too many years ago to actually be able to check out their credentials. But so far as we know, James was Jesus' brother. And this is reasonably important because we discover that James doesn't actually believe in his, bro in his brother at all for at least 20 years. There's no confidence in him as the master and as the saviour. So when he starts at the beginning and says, James, a servant of God 
and of the Lord Jesus Christ, we hear that James is really saying to us, uh, I didn't believe in him uh, and I didn't follow his early ministry. In fact, when mum and I got called to the place where he was speaking, we tried to tow him out and take him in home because we all thought he was going crazy. But I now say, I'm a servant of the living God. I now recognise who I'm speaking about and through my life over the last, maybe we don't know how old he was, uh, over the last 18 years or so, I've discovered that this Jesus is my master. He became head of the local church in his area, did our James, and he perceives things from a, from a different perspective. He has some other things to say. His statement of faith about his allegiance to Jesus Christ is profound, absolutely profound. And then he says to us, well, look, you know, uh, who, who am I writing to? Well, to the 12 tribes scattered amongst the nations. This isn't to a church. This is to the whole of the Christian community that's been spread around the place. Now, there are two possible reasons for the Christian community to be spread around the place. The first is that as Israelites and as Jews, they've been disobedient to God. And as a result of their disobedience to God, God had allowed the local nations to come in and take Israel and sweep it away. So there's almost nothing left of Israel. And so this diaspora, this uh, group of people who had been spread around the place, are very likely, at least in part, those who didn't believe in the first place. But more importantly, and probably associated with James' letter, is this whole notion that once you become a Christian, the Jews are out to get you. Once you become a Christian, the Romans are out to get you. And it's more than just, uh, it's more than just a tap on the shoulder. So you decide to leave. And he's more than likely talking to people who have been through all sorts of trials, all sorts of difficulty, all sorts of pain, all sorts of crazy stuff, and they've moved from the centre of Jerusalem and all that sort of stuff out to the, to, to the wide country. So his, 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 his little letter goes out to everybody who follows Jesus. And so that includes us. That includes everything that we experience. And what he has to say is actually useful to us. So he sets the scene a little bit and says to us, faith has consequences. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you can keep it up here, but it's a waste of time and space. But if you want to be true to what you've got up here, then you need to understand that you need to do what's up here. You need to prepare to say to, see, to, say to yourself, my values, my behaviour, my attitude need to be locked into the faith that I own and when I choose to have things happen, when I choose to do things, it will be on the basis of the faith that I know. So the whole book is about the process of living out my faith. Faith has consequences. It finds its identity in action. It doesn't find its identity in a university discussion in the theological department of some place where all this esoteric stuff happens in people's heads and everybody comes away feeling better but has done nothing else. This has to do with the fact that I believe and I do. I believe and I do. That's why we've chosen to talk about this in January. Well, this creates problems for some people. Some of you who have studied uh, a little bit of church history will know that poor uh, old Luther had all the problems in the world with this book. He called it a strawy book. It was made of straw. 
hardly anything of value in it, but enough to feed the cattle. Uh, because, you see, Luther was in this conflict with the Catholic Church. He was in the conflict with the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church said it was okay uh, to cover your sins with deeds. So you could come, you could get into heaven by paying uh, a penance. You could buy indulgences. And the more you donated to the church, the better off they said you were going to be in heaven. Well, now, Luther quite rightly nailed his thesis to the door of the temple and said, the door of the church, and said, faith alone. It's got nothing to do with what we do. Our coming to a relationship with Jesus Christ has not got to do with what we do, but what we believe. And so he saw this book as kind of in cahoots with the Catholic Church who are trying to do things by doing things and paying for things and making their church wealthy in the process, uh, when they should have been saying it's by faith alone. Because it is by faith alone. But real faith has consequences. The process of moving from knowledge to behaviour, knowledge to behaviour, is an interesting choice. We choose to do so but as we stand on the edge of an event, we can never be certain which way to go. And if you look at verse 5 of this particular chapter, you will discover this. If anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding, and it will be given to him. What do you need to do to know the direction to go? Number one, read this. Number one, read this. Number two, pray. Now, folks, these are the two most significant weapons in our armoury as Christians. We are going to be taking on, you are going to be taking on a little bit later in your life, the evil one in the kingdom of this world, and you are going to need weapons at your disposal that, might, that will make it possible for you to play with those who are spiritual in form and not in physical in form like you. You are going to need the resources of this word and of a conversation with Jesus that goes on and on and on to know how to face life. And James is trying to say to us, live through this process of being the Jesus people by reading the word, getting the faith from the word, understand what the word is all about and then being prepared to say, now Lord Jesus, in my step today, in my day to day, how do I put your word, my faith, into practice? How, how does it become real? How do I do? The reason is this. The things of the kingdom of God are done under the authority of the spirit of God. You cannot do the things of the kingdom on your own. You need the power of the Spirit of God to be able to do the things of the kingdom, so don't even try. Don't even pretend and read the book and say, ah, it says I must not do this. Well, I'll try and I'll stand on my own. doesn't work. That's why us talking to the world and saying, you shouldn't be doing this, you shouldn't be doing that, is hopeless for them because they don't have the power to do it. But we do. And if we're going to live as the people of Jesus, then we need to understand that we need to listen to the Spirit. So, 
the circumstances of our lives, the place where we actually live our lives, are the location where we discover these things. It's not a theoretical arrangement. I get up this morning and I discover that something's happened in my life and in my family and I've got to deal with it. What do I do? I go to this and I go to this. And I read and I pray and then I begin to discover who I am. I discover my lack of resources. I discover my weaknesses. I discover my temptations. I discover my failures and the evil one bangs me on the head and says, remember who you are. You're not up to it. I also discover who God is in the circumstances of my life. And when the evil one bangs on my head and says, you're not up to it, the answer is, I know, but he is. He is. Because when I do, it will be in the power of his spirit and I will do things that are God-type things, not human-type things. Because I'm being equipped, I'm being empowered by the creator of the universe, the one who pulled everything into space, and he now says, you're my man, you're my girl, you're my servant of the living God, and I will empower you to do. Come and read, come and listen, and do what needs to do, and I begin to discover what personal growth really means. As I venture out into the difficult, as I venture, venture out into the impossible, as I venture out into the things that he throws before me, I begin to discover me, I discover God, and I begin to discover who I can be. I begin to discover who I can be in the doing. What happens as we action our faith is this. We discover how God speaks to us in the process. Now, I can't tell you how God speaks to you because my belief is that God speaks to every one of us differently. We can't actually know what these, what's happening with the other. But let me tell you one of the things that happened to me. I know how he speaks to me and one of the ways he speaks to me is to tell me in advance without letting me know. So that about... July last year, for some reason or other, Nick Tui and I know each other, Nick and I worked together at, at, at Heathland, I, for some reason I took an interest in Nick and I realised he'd been at Kew and so I looked up Kew and I thought about Kew and what am I thinking about Kew for? Um, uh, and occasionally I'd sort of like in the Baptist News and see what Kew was doing. And then I had a phone call from David Atkinson and he said, would you mind coming looking after Q for a little while as the interim pastor. Now, you could say, oh, that's just sheer chance. But let me tell you, that's the way he does it with me. I knew the minute David rang on the phone that what I was supposed to do because he'd prepared me. He had told me in advance. Now, the thing is, you see, we discover how God speaks to us as we action our faith. We discover his voice very few people hear a verbal voice. But we discover in our spirits what he does and what he says when he wants us to, t wants to take us into the things of his future. And then, then we begin to discover when God says it, it's right. Nothing can get in the way. And I can do with strength and ability in a way that I could never have done otherwise. 
So what happens when we action our faith is that we discover how God speaks to us. We discover what God desires in a relationship with us. We discover that what he wants is just to be our friend, just to walk with us through the difficult times, to be with us in the journey. He wants to love us. He wants to care for us. He wants to have the barriers down because he wants to be able to have the love fly. He knows our weaknesses and he knows we can't love him back as much as he loves us. That's hard to understand, but he does. We discover in this circumstance of making faith doing exactly how he relates to us. And out of all of this, we grow in maturity. Maturity happens over a lifetime. It's not something that happens yesterday, today, I'm a different person. Rarely does that happen. But what James is trying to tell us is that in reality, the process of actioning your faith is the process of character formation. The way you go about doing what you need to do to action your faith is the development of who you are under God's guidance, the development of the values that you hold. Things are no longer black and white. Things are now have, have greyish hues and you begin to understand that God leaves you with nuances around the place about, about the way to go about things, about the way to think about things. And, and all of a sudden this process means I'm a different person. I went, back to, I went back to England and met up one of the blokes I was in college with after about 20 years. And uh, he said to me, uh, after we'd been together for a few days, he said, you know, you're the same John Smith that I knew in college, but you're much deeper. Now, I, that's the first time I even thought about it. First time I even thought about it. I certainly hadn't dreamt of it myself. And I said, thanks, mate. That actually speaks into who I am and what I'm doing. It's, there's nothing about me, by the way. Don't get the idea, and if you, just, if you can refer to uh, verse 9 through to verse 11, you'll see that, uh, that James is talking about pride. Don't get proud because you're rich. Don't get proud because you're poor. Both of you are going to die. No point, no point in being proud about the things you've achieved. The things you've achieved in the kingdom of God are those that he's given you to achieve. If you've got umpteen million dollars, that's because God has put that at your disposal. You are his, you are his uh, present person. You are here to be, his, to be his carer of his resources and to use them wisely. If you've got no resources, that means that you've got the resources of a thousand hills. And when you ask the Lord for what you need, he says, I'll give it to you as you need it. But don't be proud. It's got nothing to do with who you are as a person, nothing to do with your achievements, nothing whatever. Well, let's have a look at uh, this. Just, I don't know how long I'm going to be able to get to go through this, so I think probably just, I want to lay that foundation for those of us that are coming after so that you know what the book's about, how we, how we, how we discover some of the stuff in the book. The, the, the first one that comes up uh, in, chapter, in chapter 1, verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That sounds contradictory, doesn't it? Why would you be facing trials with joy? Um, the original language here is saying, when you see a trial, 
Don't stand firm and persevere. Let it all happen around you and rage around you. And at the end of the time, wake up and say it's all over. It's not about that. When he talks about having joy in trials, he is saying to us that there needs to be, for the people of God, an active perseverance. An active perseverance. Where, on the basis of this ongoing relationship with Jesus, we continue to wrestle with the issues. We don't just stand there and pretend and hope it will all go away. We wrestle with the issues. We deal with the matters. We stand firm on our values. And one day after another, we speak Jesus' name without saying a word. And our word, world begins to see there is something guiding our hearts and our minds in our doing that doesn't make sense to them, but makes them wonder. Trials are godly relationship builders. So when he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials, he's not talking about the trial. He's talking about the consequence of the trial. Because in the trial, to deal with the trial, you need the relationship with Jesus to do what needs to be done. And the minute you have something you need to do, and come up against a trial and you say, Lord Jesus, walk with me, would you please? What do you have? You have that. You have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is alive, that is functional, that is promoting the beauty of life itself in the midst of difficulty. So when you, when you have a trial, say to yourself, what do I do? Well, I go to here and I pray and I discover my relation gets, relationship with Jesus gets broader, gets deeper, and I discover that there's joy in this relationship, and I discover that the trial was the basis upon which all of this stuff happened, and I didn't expect it. So when a trial comes along, be prepared to say to yourself, there is something beautiful about this. There is something joyful about this. There is something that needs to be, that needs to be grasped. And I allow trials to mould me by talking with Jesus about what's going on. This first trial that he's talking about in verses 2 through to verse 8 is, is this trial of um, perseverance. This needing to be prepared to come up with perspectives that are wise and sensible. Needing to come up with perspectives. It doesn't say the kind of trial he's talking about. But he's talking about the, the vicissitudes of life if you want to describe it functionally, those things that hit us and we don't know what to do. And it changes our character. We come out of it and say, Lord, I'm a different person. I'm changed. And I'm not changed because I'm good. I'm changed because I'm your servant. The second kind of uh, blessing under trial, he talks about in verse 12. So that in verse 2 and verse 12, he's talking about persevering under trial. Blessed is the man who, and woman who perseveres under trial because when they stand, when they've stood the test, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised. So when tempted, ah, this is, this is not a trial of difficult circumstances. This is a trial of temptation. This is a trial of the voice of the evil one speaking to us about the things that we know we shouldn't pursue, but we are tempted to do so. Now, there's a whole plethora of that, but men, let me talk to you about 
being prepared to look at those photographs when you know you shouldn't. And when you hear the little voice inside which says, this is not, this is not, this is not my servant's behaviour. Girls, you know what I'm talking about. You choose to make your own explanations. This is a trial of temptation. Of a, of a, a temptation to go just the other side a little bit and taste the evil because it might be nice. Just, just try those drugs. Just once. Take up smoking just a little bit. Just a little bit. It won't hurt you. You know, I'm sitting in the safe area, aren't I? You can follow that through in your own imagination. This is, this is not a matter for pride. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he's dragged away and enticed. What's he saying? Hear the word. Know where the values stand. Know what's appropriate as a child of the living God. Be aware of the description of a servant of the living God. And then talk to him about the doing. And dismiss from your mind, not on the basis of your capacity to do so, but on the basis of the capacity of the Spirit of God to defend you against temptation. I've been involved fairly extensively with people with prayer ministry. And prayer ministry involves bringing, <coughs> excuse me, bringing their issues to God in a time of prayer. And as a, as a counsel, prayer counsellor, I help them work through those issues. And at the end of the time, I, I, I invite them to give the issues they've been talking about over to Jesus and let, them take, let him take them away and lay them at the foot of the cross to deal with those. And I, and I say to them, if you hand over those issues to Jesus, who do they belong to? And they say, they belong to him, they don't belong to me. And I say, well, if the evil one comes along again and says, let's play with that, what's your defence? The defence is, they don't belong to me. If you want to play with that, you need to, they need to go and talk to the one who owns them. He's off quickly. You're going to talk to Jesus about that wicked stuff that you and I, all of us, me included, have done and will still be tempted to do in our lives. This little bit about temptation, temptation and the trial, is the trial of temptation. The trial to be less than we should be. The trial to be prepared to go into the things of the evil world for the fun of it. And we soon discover that being captured in that world is wickedness itself. James is talking in these verses of, about character formation. He moves on, uh, and we're, we're talking about uh, verse 19 through on our listening and doing. Uh, he talks about uh, an, a number of things here, and I just want to talk about one or two. The first is this. It's about doing. Faith without works is dead. I mean, it might be interesting. Academics have written theses about faith without works. They all think it's wonderful. And they all give each other PhDs for it. But ask one or two of them to actually do what they've been asked to write, and they're shot. So James is saying to us, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. 
for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Well, there we go. When an event comes up in your life and the tempted reaction for you is to get angry about what the other person is saying, the temptation is there and you need to stand firm and say, I deal with that issue on the basis of my relationship with Jesus Christ. I give it to him and I ask him to show me how to deal with it. But it's about doing. I can't stand still and do nothing and let it persevere around my ears because it won't go away. It needs to be dealt with. And right down at the very end, just to finish off, if anyone considers himself religious and doesn't keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Here's a significant one. It talks here about self-control. One of the characteristics of the people of God is that they have learned what to say and when to say it and are prepared to lock their tongue away from vicious talk. I heard the story of a, of a chap in England who was a wonderful preacher, wonderful preacher. Uh, he was quite, quite old and one of the younger preachers around the place began to take him to task for the various things that he was saying and saying uh, to, to his congregation, that it was false, it was, un, it was just not true, it wasn't a good preacher, etc., etc. And the, uh, the old fellow heard about this and he was desperately hurt by it to the point where it put him to bed in pain and, and deeply worried. The, old, the, the, the young fellow soon realised what he'd done, spreading rumours and saying these kinds of things. Um, and he went to visit the old fellow in, in, in his bedroom in England the bedrooms are upstairs and he said look I must apologise I've, I've done wrong and the old fellow said to him look I'd like you to do something for me would you please would you take that pillow and would you open it up and open the window and shake out all the feathers that are in the, that are in the pillow and the young fellow did that and the, the old fellow said now I'd, I'd like you to go outside and pick up all of the feathers young fellow said, oh, I can't do that. They're spread all over the place. And the old fellow said to him, neither can you take back the words you've said about me. The need for us to control our tongues, to be wise in what we say, is consequent for the doing of our faith. It is being prepared to say, I have this faith, which teaches me about saying the right things, being kind to people, being wise in what I believe, and that transfers because what goes on in here comes out of here. And if what comes out of here is vile and wicked and nasty and horrible, something's going wrong up here. What the heart is feeling comes out of the mouth. So, let me lay the foundations for this month. The foundations for this month are these. James, a servant of God, his brother, and the Lord Jesus Christ, to those of us who are, who are spread around the world, don't just listen. Do 